The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What is good, y'all? Welcome to the first episode of In the Deep, a deep and dynasty-focused fantasy baseball podcast. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, Christopher Weber, more commonly known in his online circles as Schwebzy. Schwebzy, how's it going? Hi, friends. Things are going good, man. I'm so excited to finally get this going. Feels like it's been, feels like we've been waiting forever. We've been waiting a really long time to do this. Yeah, I'm a little bit like nervous, a little bit jittery, but I think we're going to work ourselves into a groove here and get going. Uh, this is our first episode, so instead of falling into our normal routine that we're planning on hitting once we hit the regular season, we wanted to take some time to kind of just uh, introduce ourselves. This is kind of a first date with you, the listener, so we just want you to get to know us a little bit. So, uh, Schwebzy, would you like to talk a little bit about your background in fantasy baseball and pitcher list in general? I do. It's funny. Like, we don't want to fall into our normal routine that definitely and absolutely exists as of right now. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Our well-known, our well-known routine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I've been hanging around the PitcherList Discord for a couple of years now. I've been a supporter, a subscriber since I think the off-season before 2019. And just, you know, kind of being around that group of people and participating in those, you know, late-night voice chats, just the the talking about baseball players during the day. Uh, it's just, it's just, it was really a place that I wanted to be a part of and something that I wanted to contribute to. And I'm going to sound like I'm being a shill here, but this is really like this, this is Schwebzy from the heart. Like this is, it's uh pitchless is just such a fun place to be. So, uh, I, I, again, sounding like a shill, but pitchless plus is absolutely such a fun thing to be a part of. Um, so as far as my fantasy background, I'm, I'm in a couple of dynasty leagues one uh i'm I'm gonna name drop here uh i i do i commission a league for spores discord paul sporer we did a uh dynasty startup this year in pitcherlist which we are currently drafting uh jordan and i co-own a team there we will talk about that a little bit probably and i'm in an al only league and an nl only league for my home leagues so as you could see like kind of my my wheelhouse is those deeper leagues those dynasty leagues uh, aside from fantasy baseball, like elsewhere in the baseball world, I do like MLB, the show streaming. It's it's not really the most popular stream, but we're we're working on that. We're we're getting some followers. Uh, I'm currently doing the Moneyball League with, again, Paul Sporer and Scuffy McGee. 
who uh, Scuffy McGee, if you're a fantasy baseball player and you hear the name Scuffy McGee, that means absolutely nothing to you. But uh, if you're into MLB The Show, that that's a name you probably know. So, uh, yeah. How about you, Jordan? So, yeah, I am not as seasoned with PitcherList as Chris is. I actually only joined the PitcherList Plus Discord. I think it was somewhere around October, sorry, August or September of 2020. So I'm a pretty late comer to the Discord. I will say, once again, shilling, just like uh, Schweb's was. PL Plus was one of the better decisions that I made. Obviously, I'm here making this podcast now, but even beyond that, in the midst of quarantine, having a community like that to go to and hang out with has been like a really, really helpful and healthy thing for me. Like knowing that folks in general in there are going to be hanging out in voice chat all the time has been really, really nice talking about not just fantasy baseball, but I mean, life in general, other interests like video games, uh, TV, movies, other sports. We have a chat for pretty much everything there. So that's been really, really great. I do recommend, obviously, if you are able to check out PL Plus, especially on today, the day of the 6.0 launch, if you're listening to this on the release day. Um, As far as my fantasy background goes, I'm currently in four leagues. I'm in the aforementioned Dynasty startup that we're doing with some pitcherless community members right now with Schwebzy, uh, currently fighting over who we should pick in round, I think, 26 or 27 currently out of 50. So I have that one. Plus, I also have... Another fan tracks, Dynasty League, plus two auto new leagues, one being a Fangraphs points league and the other one being a five by five Roto League. So I do like the deeper leagues in general. One of my favorite things to do, along with Schwebzy as well, is rebuild teams from the ground up. All of my teams that I've had so far, except for the team that I have with Schwebs, are adopted teams that were near the bottom of their leagues. So that's something that I find a specialty in. So I like to kind of trade up and like find value in drafts. Uh, as the season goes on, play the waiver wire. So that's kind of where my specialties lie. Um, and that's what we're going to hopefully pr- provide value for you as the season goes on. I'm very ready to convince you to draft Justice Sheffield next in that uh, in that Dynasty League. Okay, you won't really have to fight that hard to convince me to draft Justice Sheffield. I can't remember who it was that wrote an article right now. I have to look that up really quick. Who wrote the Justice Sheffield article for Pitcher List? We, there, there's a lot of that because we have uh, we are up to like 200 some odd uh, pitcher list staffers and so many of them are writing quality articles. There's so much quality content there. Have we hit our, our pitcher list shilling quota yet? Like I, there's a number that we have to hit before Nick fires us on the spot. Um, yeah, I think I'm Nick hoping- said that we have to mention it at least 10 times. We're trying to get there early on so that we don't have to worry about it for the rest of the podcast. We'll just bombard you right away. Just like a wall of PL shilling, and then we'll dial it back for the rest of the episode. But no, that I'm actually uh, just a Sheffield article. Oh, sorry. So go ahead. I'm uncomfortable saying shilling this much after the the recent discourse. Oh yeah, that's a good point. We'll try to hold back on that from now on. I'll try to phrase it a little bit differently. <laughs> but I'm not uh, shilling. I am a shill. Yes, correct. Uh, that Justice Sheffield article that I mentioned uh, was written by Matt Wallach, who does a ton of great work. And is an absolute machine, usually releasing an article a week, even in the offseason, just absolutely kills it every single time. As an editor for the site, I'm lucky enough to read these before they come out. And Matt writes some very, very, very good stuff. Uh, You can follow him at Wallach, which is W-A-L-L-A-C-H 18 on Twitter if you'd like to see more of his stuff. Yeah, uh, moving forward, we're just going to start out by talking about a little bit of news recently here in the league, Uh, starting off with... 
the Justin Turner re-signing in LA as of today, he announced it through his Twitter account. Um, Schwebs, who does that affect when it comes to deep leagues? And what do we have to look forward to from Turner this coming season? Well, it, it's crazy that a star player can announce their own signing and not be a complete jerk about it. I didn't know that you could do that with recent <laughs> events. But, yeah. yeah, so Justin Turner signed and it like we kind of know about Justin Turner. He's getting a little bit old, so we're we're a little bit worried about age related decline. But as recently as this year, the the skills are very much still there. But we're more concerned about who else this affects, not so much Justin Turner himself, because the Dodgers have an incredibly deep roster. And what that means is every single move they make has like can positively or adversely impact a lot of players who might you might roster in a deeper league. Uh, and in this case, that is specifically like Edwin Rios, Gavin Lux. These are guys that are real hot names because they have skills or in Lux's case, prospect buzz. And now they just straight up might not play. Well, yeah, you got someone like especially well in Edwin Rios's case, obviously more directly blocked by Turner, clearly. Um, hashtag free Edwin Rios, please. Uh, same thing with Gavin Lux, free Ed, or free Gavin Lux, but uh, Gavin Lux more indirectly blocked by someone like Chris Taylor as well, who continues to produce pretty well as a utility guy for the Dodgers. And I think they currently trust him more than they do Gavin Lux. And while Lux might see more playing time this year, I still think that he's going to find himself blocked by both Turner resigning and Chris Taylor at second base there. So I'm curious to see how much playing time he actually gets. Also, in addition to all of this, the fact that there is very likely going to be no DH in the National League adds another wrinkle to it as well, blocking at bats for both of these guys. So um, definitely a drop in stock for each of them now that Justin Turner has re-signed. Uh, Schwebs, anything else you want to add on either of these guys? I don't think this changes anything for Gavin Lux in Dynasty, unless you're, like like especially at a Dynasty startup. If you're in a win now kind of state in your dynasty league, this definitely kind of tanks Lux's value for this year. But he's very much a trade target still because prob this is probably the lowest his value has been since, you know, like really bursting onto the scene as like a top five prospect. Absolutely. So I, I do think he's a really nice trade target right now especially since he has technically fallen off of prospect lists. So people who are perusing prospect lists are no longer going to see the name Gavin Lux. And that is just, you know, it's, it's going to make the name recognition go down and hopefully uh, decrease his value for a nice little buy low opportunity. Yeah, I feel like in the middle of this year, once people are realizing that he's not getting playing time, I could see a lot of owners in different deep leagues moving him for value where they can, but that, also, again, like you said, is a really good buy low opportunity. Same for Edwin Rios. I would love to see either of them, honestly. More so Edwin Rios, I think, is the more likely candidate for something like this. But for Edwin Rios to get moved to a different team in a trade, uh, one thing that I would be totally fine with is if the Brewers, which I am a fan of, uh, would trade someone like Josh Hader. I know like the last thing that the Dodgers need is another insane bullpen arm. But the Brewers really need a third baseman, and they have Devin Williams who can come in and close for them currently. And I like Devin Williams a lot more than I like Hader, as crazy as that may seem. Uh, but yeah, getting a third baseman like Edwin Rios, who's blocked at the position on the team he's on already, would be a pretty good pickup. 
Um, yeah, Schwebs, anything else? I'm just glad that you have a new trade target so you stop trying to get my boy Dom Smith. Oh, I'm still going to chase Dom Smith. I'm still going to hope and pray for that happening just so I can see the anguish in your face as you read the news. I want to be the first one to send you that. I want to get you on a voice call in Discord, and I want to send you the link to that trade so I can see your reaction in real time if it ever does happen. I would love that so much. Like as a Mets fan, like we don't get that many nice things. Like th- this has been a good off season and already, you know, Seth Lugo loose bodies in his elbow and he's going to be out for a while. If that, if that is the worst thing that happens in the preseason, as far as injury news, you're in, you're going to be in great shape. We, we couldn't even wait until pitchers and catchers for our first injury. <laughs> It's true. I mean, it is it is unfortunate that he've lost Seth Lugo this early. He will be back this year. It wasn't like a major yeah. procedure or anything like that. Like the loose bodies is something that he can recover from very quickly. He will not be ready for the start of the season, most likely, but we'll come back shortly thereafter, I would assume. Uh, but yes, moving on to even further Dodgers news kind of makes sense for us being a deep league podcast to talk about the deepest team in the league. Uh, the notable news, Trevor Bauer signing with the Dodgers uh, with a personally, I think egregious contract with the options after both years and making approximately what 40 million this year in AAV. I think it's 40 and then 45. It's absolutely insane to me. Ridiculous. Yeah. With options after each year, which I mean, if he can, if he plays well this year and then just takes that second year and then he can dip out after that and re-enter free agency, I, I'm sure he would love nothing more than to be able to go through the social media tour once again. But, uh, there are implications here for some of the back end rotation potential guys, such as uh, Julio Uri- Uri- uh, Julio Urias, uh, and then also Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin. Uh, Schwebs, which of these guys do you think gets the shortest straw out of the Bauer situation? I, I can't really say with any certainty. Like skills wise, I think Gonsolin is the best one there. Like. He's performed the best out of the three so far in their careers. Um, It's kind of weird how little respect the team seems to give him, given that every time they've given him the ball, he has performed. I mean, the Dodgers kind of have a habit of this, right? They always have too many arms, which is a good problem to have, but it leads to guys like Ryu getting pushed aside, Maeda getting pushed aside. As far as as guys that I trust this year, I, I think... I think it's going to be Urias, and I that I don't think that has anything to do with the individual player's skill. I just think that he is the most, like he's got the most tenure of those three guys. He's he's, I think he's made the most starts of the three of them. I it's just it's a bad situation because um, all three of them would be starting pitchers for twenty nine teams. Yeah, exactly. Maybe every team except I don't know the Padres, maybe the Mets, but uh, you know these guys are these guys are all young, productive, and there's nothing that fantasy owners love more than you know these young pitchers like dripping with ace talent. So, what what do you think this does to their draft stock? How are you treating these guys in drafts right now? Well, now that Bauer said, so looking at their ADPs currently. Uh, and obviously the Bauer news came out just this past week uh, and is pretty fresh. So the ADPs don't exactly reflect the effect that this will have on them. Uh, Urias is at 115, Dustin May at 166, and Gonsolin at 205. Funny enough, like I would 
value them in the reverse of that probably. And I think that it would be pretty close between Urias and Dustin May. I still think that Urias ends up being a long reliever. So he'll probably pitch like uh, two. He'll, pr- he'll probably work his way through the order like once in shorter relief appearance or in uh, late long relief appearances. Uh, I still think that Gonsolin ends up being SP6 for them. It's just that everyone is going to pitch fewer innings. I know that there's this whole thing about Bauer talking about how he wants to pitch every third start and things like that, which is absolutely insane. I don't think it's ever going to happen, especially on the Dodgers. Um, but I think Gonsolin still has a chance to snag a start here and there. But weirdly enough, I think that as far as the potential for these guys in terms of being bullpen arms, which most of them will be at this point, I think that Gonsolin is the weakest bullpen arm out of the three, but he would be the best starter if that makes any sense. Um, I think that May May has the stuff that they really like out of the bullpen in LA with that insane sinker, that gifable sinker. Uh, shout out to Pitching Ninja for making that such a thing. Uh, and Urias, I just remember him closing down that last game in the World Series. Um, looked great out of the pen. So he could probably come in and pitch in any high leverage situation. Gonson, for some reason, it just doesn't seem like they trust him very much, which I don't understand. Because like you said, every time they've handed him the ball, he's performed very, very well. Yeah, I, I just, I don't, it, so if it's a redraft, I'm not picking any of these guys Absolutely that we're talking not. about right now. Nope. The only Dodgers starters that I'm touching are Kershaw, Bauer, Bueller, Price. Um, it still remains to be seen what Price's role is going to be. There was like a, a brief rumor that he might not pitch this year uh due to covid again but i don't think that's going to happen he dispelled that pretty quick if i remember right correct he he tweeted saying that that wasn't the case i think yeah so if that's true then that's you know just like i said i'm not touching any of the young starters as far as dynasty so this has been a problem with the dodgers for as i said years now so i i think something that a lot of fantasy owners don't do and Actually, this is something that's reflected in uh, Nick Pollock's rankings with the list. Dodgers pitchers outside of the true aces, they like they don't get the same workload as comparable pitchers on other teams. No, uh, we, we like to call it Dodgeritis. They're going to be shuffled around. There's going to be fake injuries to preserve their arms, and you know, just they're probably they're probably going to give you the quality you expect but not the quantity that you want. Absolutely, yeah. And if you're in a league that has deeper rosters and has more reserve spots and you can afford to get these guys, then sure, I can see grabbing some of them. But at the same time, if you're looking for, especially after a shortened 2020 season, you're looking for the people that are going to provide volume. These are not the guys that you want to chase. Because even in a regular season, they're going to be pitching fewer innings and have a smaller, Just they're just going to compile fewer stats as far as the counting stats go in general, in comparison to any of their counterparts on any other teams. Uh, so for me, same as you, I'm avoiding any of these guys in a redraft league. Dynasty, I could see hanging on to, I like Urias, I like Dustin May to a certain extent, although I think that he's destined to end up as a reliever in the long term. Uh, he's got electric stuff, and I could see them throwing him in some high leverage situations as well. As well. So we'll see how things go and how they pan out. Obviously, injuries do happen. Uh, someone could get traded. And then at that point, obviously their stock goes way up. But for the meantime, steering clear of most of the Dodgers staff, especially at that back end of the rotation. Uh, Moving on to the Benintendi trade, 
the three-way trade between the Royals, Red Sox, and Mets. Uh, big winner here that we kind of concluded was uh, Franchi Cordero going to uh, Boston and being able to play in Fenway. Um, there's a really good article that was written by Ben Pernick about a potential Franchi breakout this year that I recommend that you check out on the PitcherList site. Really good work there by Ben. Um, his current ADP is sitting around 406 ahead of guys like uh, Robbie Grossman, Christian Pache, Oscar Mercado, Adam Eaton, which Schwebs has no clue why people are even rostering, and I agree with him, uh, and Joe Adele. Schwebs, what is your feeling about not just Franchi Cordero here, but also what does Benintendi's stock look like after moving to Kauffman Stadium there in Kansas City? So like everyone with eyes, I have seen Franchi Cordero's absurd tools on display, and I'm really excited for him every time that he gets a chance. And it appears that right now he's going to get that chance. Roster Resource currently has him as the starting left fielder for the Red Sox, uh, hitting seventh, although you know I don't really trust their lineup spots at this point in the offseason. So an interesting t- thing to note about Franchi and his role on the Red Sox is that he's a lefty. The Red Sox only have two other everyday lefties in their lineup. They have uh, Devers, Verdugo, and then otherwise their lineup is incredibly right-handed, which actually makes their recent signing of Marvin Gonzalez pretty relevant. But uh, I do think that that means that Cordero, even if it's a platoon, he's going to be playing the bulk of the at-bats in left field. And I know that when you're a lefty, in uh, Fenway, you don't really get the benefit of the green monster. That's still a pretty, pretty short uh, fi- uh, fence out in right field with a pesky's pole over there. So uh, the other parts of the trade, uh, I'm not really interested in Benintendi. It's just, it, it's not even that he regressed. It's just, it's like he showed absolutely nothing as far as like bankable fantasy skills last year. I just, I don't really know what to make of him anymore. Like, I, I don't have anything I can point to optimistically. I just, I'm basically writing him off in my head until he shows me like literally anything again. I, I like, there were times where I, I thought that he was actually like a cut in Dynasty, which I, I you know, a, a year or two ago, you never would have thought that. Um, so, as, and on top of that, he's going to Kansas City where they do not have a great home park. So on top of his apparently degrading skills, now he's in a worse environment. So I'm, I'm just incredibly uninterested in Benintendi. Actually, a more interesting part of the trade to me than Benintendi is Khalil Lee, the prospect that went to the Mets. Uh, anytime someone steals an absolute ton of bases in the minors, fantasy owners get excited. And Khalil Lee stole 53 bases in AA in 2019. So that is exciting. Uh, and anytime there's a major burner coming to the majors, fantasy owners should pay attention. So Khalil Lee is definitely a name to file away, especially if the Mets don't extend Michael Conforto, because apparently uh, Khalil Lee profiles as a right fielder. Yeah, he could be a very easy replacement for Conforto and cheaper, obviously, in the long run for the Mets. So that's a really good point, Schwebs. Um, I'm kind of on the same page as you with Ben Benintendi as well. I mean, going into the perfect, the perfect, just awful storm of one, degrading skills, two, going into a worse park environment, three, finding out now that there's going to be a dejuiced ball this year probably as well. Just 
kind of takes me off of him completely. And like you said, I'm just waiting for him to prove otherwise. For now, I'm completely off of him. I don't want him. I'm going to ship him if I can. I'm not going to try to draft him in any new dynasty leagues, really. His stock is not high for me. I think it was like 2000, maybe 18, where like he was untouchable in dynasty leagues. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. It's Very wild how, how far he's fallen in such a short amount of time. And there's always a chance there for a bounce back. But for now, hard no from me. Well, from both of us, I should say. Uh, moving on, just some smaller signings here that we're going to touch on real quick, probably. Uh, we got Brad Miller going to the Phillies. This one I really, really like for both sides. Brad Miller's a pretty good bat. He walks a bunch uh, and can play all over the diamond. Schwebs, what do you think about Brad Miller? What do you think about this signing for the Phillies? Um, I'm mad that it happened, and that's kind of how you know that it was good. Because <laughs> any t- if the Phillies do something and I'm upset, then it was probably a, a smart move by them. Um, as as you said, he's versatile. Now the Phillies have starters kind of penciled in the third base, shortstop, second base. So the question might occur, like, where is he going to play? But he's played plenty in the outfield in his career, also. So it and it seems like as of right now. The, the the outfield picture is a little bit iffy for Philly because they have uh, Kutch, who used to be a center fielder, but can't really handle it anymore. But the, And they have Harper in right field and Kingery penciled in to center field. So I'm not sure that there's a spot in the outfield for Brad Miller right now. But if they feel comfortable, you know, kind of punting deep center field defense and putting Kutch or Harper out there, then you get Miller in the lineup, he gets outfield eligibility, and he's an even more enticing fantasy ad. Otherwise, he just plays all around the infield and, you know, hopefully gets some eligibility there and becomes a versatile power bat for you. Yeah, he could very easily achieve, like in Fantrax leagues, multiple position eligibility. In Auto News, since they, re, uh, they carried over positional eligibility from 2019 for everyone, uh, that means that he's still eligible, I believe, at third base, shortstop and outfield i don't think he got second base quite but um the nice thing about this like you said is that he can pretty much relieve anyone in the infield for a day off so he's going to get playing time opportunities that way and then also like you said if it comes down to it and he ends up or sorry if scott kingery ends up underperforming with the bat a ton batting at the back end of that lineup and it's bad enough where they want to give a boost to the offense he could very easily step in in the outfield and he's projected to have better walk rate, better average and provide that boost offensively. So I could see a scenario where Kingery gets benched down the line if he does not perform with the bat. Um, obviously, he probably will get that first opportunity, though. So Brad Miller, not someone that I'm necessarily buying in on quite yet, unless it's very, very late in a draft or if I can pick him off, pick him up off the waiver wire. But it's something to keep an eye on down the line. Um, moving on to the Twins signing of Alex Colome. Uh making the closer situation a bit more interesting, obviously providing some competition for Taylor Rogers there. Uh, Schwebs, what do you think of the signing of Colome? So you're, you're probably going to hear us uh, reference roster resource often because a lot of lineup stuff is unclear right now and yes. they're as hooked in as anybody. So they currently have Alex Colome penciled in as the closer for Minnesota, where it was presumptively going to be Taylor Rogers but uh, it looks like they've got Colome penciled in there right now. And I mean, as we all, well, ac- actually, now, now that I'm looking at it closer and actually opening my eyes, uh, it says they've got them as co-closers. So 
we might be looking at the fantasy owner's worst nightmare, a closer by committee. So being that one is a lefty and one is a righty, and the the uh, Twins are a kind of progressive team as far as pitching goes, we might see that. We, we might see the uh, matchup-based closer role. And we don't like that. So, yeah, that, I'd say that's not good as for, uh, for us in the fantasy world. It does mean that you, once again, have to put Alex Colomay on your radar late in drafts as you're trying to speculate for saves. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is just this year more so than any other year. There's really only a handful of names, if, especially if it's just a purely saves league rather than saves holds. Save, save hold leagues, much different. There's plenty of targets out there for you to chase. But in this case, if you have a league that is a 5x5 five five roto that only counts saves, it's dicey unless you have like one of the top five or six guys when it comes right down to it. So this year, more than anything, just adding even more instability and more uncertainty into the process is making life pretty miserable for a lot of people, which is, and in this specific instance, I'm very happy that I actually traded Taylor Rogers earlier in the off season for some backup first base help in Christian Walker. Cause I was able to trade down to my auto new league, both for a cheaper uh, player by a couple bucks and someone who's going to be playing every day, probably in the heart of the lineup. So I got a pretty good value there, which I was pretty happy with. Um, yeah, I think that it'll be interesting to see. We'll probably find out as camp goes on what the situation is there between Colome and Rogers, if they plan to go with a more committee closer thing, or if it's going to be uh, someone's clearly defined role at the beginning, but short leash and having the other one on deck and ready to go. Uh, Moving on to the Tigers signed Nomar Mazzara. Schwebs, what did you think of the Tigers getting a hold of Mazzara? My my first thought was like, oh, cool. Another team is drinking the Nomar Mazzara Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> I, I like every, it seems like every season now someone gets, uh, gets Mazzara and we see a bunch of videos of that like massive 118 mile an hour home run that he hit. Or no, I think it was like 495 feet or something. He just hit one massive tank a couple of years ago, and everyone is like drooling over that one hit. And now he just keeps getting signed, and fantasy owners keep on saying, "Well, you know, if yep. he can tap, if he can tap into that power consistently, uh, I don't think that's going to happen consistently at this point." Now, Mazzara is only 25, coming up on 26. So, I mean, you know, you could, you could talk yourself into it and argue, well, he's coming up on his age 27 year. Uh, the talent's there. Maybe we're, maybe we do get one or two peak years where he's actually worth chasing, worth drafting. I I don't see it. Um, I, I will not be winding up with Mazzara on any of my teams this year. I can say that pretty confidently. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat, honestly. Um, projected by Bad X to only play 83 games currently uh, i think that was probably projected before he signed though i don't believe that's an actually updated uh projection for him but only projected to play 83 games 12 home runs 41 runs 42 rbis 238 average he's not gonna provide you anything insane he did have an average e- exit velocity of 91 miles per hour last year so he does hit the ball hard um but i think that there will be the concern about just the very low average, the dejuiced ball here. I'm probably out on Mazzara as well. But like like you said, if a guy hits a tank once like that, it's not a reason to hop on the train. Like I, I, I have also driven 
a golf ball 330 yards one time in my life. That does not mean that I should be on the PGA tour. So I don't think that it's a reason to jump on the Mazzara train. Um, but still, once again, a young guy, someone to keep an eye on. The the equivalent of this is you hit the ball 330 yards, but in like a direct right angle to the tee. Hey, let's not get into specifics here, okay? We didn't have to bring that up. Yeah. But Mazzara <laughs> had, along with his 91 mile an hour average exit velo, which isn't a great measure to begin with because yeah, of true. things like what I'm about to say. Um, he had an average launch angle of 6.7 degrees, which is bad. That, that's a... Uh, is low yeah it's not great all right and then moving on from there we've got a signing that in a certain sense i'm a little bit disappointed by mostly because it puts my boy tanner Houck in jeopardy of being in the starting rotation potentially uh martin perez re-signing with boston uh schwebs what do we think of perez i don't think i care outside of spot starts um he's going like He's like always streamer, for, you mean? exactly like yeah. you're all you're even in like the deep real deep leagues you don't want him starting against like the Yankees or in Baltimore like just because of that ballpark like he's kind of home run prone and you absolutely don't want him starting against certain offenses in certain ballparks uh and like given that division, especially yeah, Toronto. I can't believe I'm forgetting Toronto, who are right up there with the Yankees as like a fantastic offense in that division that play in a launching pad uh, in non-pandemic seasons. But yeah, I I have no interest in Martin Perez unless I see that like I don't know he's gotten a way game at Detroit or something. Like I just I just don't yeah. care. Great cutter yeah. though. Does have a really good cutter. Yes. Um. Again, the only thing that this really has relevance for, for me, like you said, I'm probably only going to stream him in favorable starts if I have him on a roster. Um, I just hope that he doesn't block Tanner Houck being able to start because Tanner Houck's my boy. He's the person that I've gotten behind. I wrote an article on him. If you'd like to check it out, it's on Pitcher List. Feel free to Google that. But I don't know. I'm glad that he got back with Boston. I think that he's going to be a serviceable SP three or four for them. But there are other people in that organization that I would like to see starting above him. Uh, yeah. Uh, moving on from there, we got Ben Gamble signing with the Cleveland baseball team. Uh, Schwebs, what do we think about Gamble signing with Cleveland? I have nothing to say about Ben Gamble, except that one of the absolute best analysts at PitcherList, Michael Ahedo, wrote an article about Ben Gamble like two years back about how his stance was upright and very, very close to Yelich in its mechanics. And uh, the article was about how, well, look look at how his batting stance has changed and look at his recent production. He kind of looks like Christian Yelich. And I immediately ran out and picked up Ben Gamble in my NL only league. And then he hit like 050 for the next like month. So uh i i, see, I just like why, ben see that's why you don't listen to mikey when it comes to hitters you only listen to mikey when it comes to pitchers i'm just kidding all my mikey, homies all my homies do not listen to michael ahedo <laughs> all my homies hate mikey ahedo when it comes to hitters that's not true we love you mikey <laughs> love you so much mikey uh more so benny but also mikey uh but yeah <laughs> I, i'm i'm not i'm not interested like i i just he he didn't do it in Milwaukee when he had plenty of opportunities, and now he has uh, plenty of competition 
from other mediocre to bad outfielders in Cleveland. And I just I just don't see it. Yeah, I won't be surprised if he gets a decent amount of playing time and like they do more of a platoon style outfield there. Obviously, with like you said, just very like mediocre options, but I'm not interested in Ben Gamble in any of my leagues again until um, unless he miraculously puts it together and starts overproducing what he has done so far. Uh, I'm going to move on to the next guy that we have on our list here, who is someone that Schwebzy is incredibly excited about. One Jonathan VR Schwebs. This is a this is a new Mets signing. You should be excited, right? The silence should say everything. Okay, never mind. <laughs> so, I, uh, so VR is a has been a fun fantasy player for uh, a long time because uh, we we all love guys who get steals at you know mm-hmm. may, maybe not deep positions. He had a wonderful 2019 with Baltimore where he put up like four WAR, stole a bunch of bases, mm-hmm. and he stole bases in 2020 as well. So, you know, he he has his thing. Uh, people love to look back on that one crazy year where he like paired the speed with a bunch of power. But I, I don't think that's in his profile anymore. He just doesn't hit the ball hard enough to actually like get it over the fence with any consistency. He might be one of these guys that the dead ball kind of impacts. It's not a great ballpark in uh, in Queens. And also got to mention where is he going to play? Yeah, there's really not, a spot for him. Like, he's not a good defender, so you don't need to get his glove in the lineup. And I firmly believe that everyone in the Mets infield is a much, much better hitter than him. So where where's he playing? Are they going to try to convert him to a center fielder? And like that seems like it would be bad. Like He's just going to be a utility guy. And like I feel like the Mets need to get playing time for Guillaume, who is probably better than VR overall at this point in time. I, I don't know. That was that was like the first thing that the Mets did this offseason that I was really like, what? Why? Yeah, so, I yeah. Can, not a fan. I can agree. I can agree with you on this uh, across the board. I mean, aside from the 2019 season with the Orioles, where he stole 40 bags and put up a 109 WRC plus, he's been below uh, replacement level for three of the past four seasons. It was 66 WRC plus in 2020. Uh, still stole 16 bags over 52 games. So he's still going to probably provide that stolen base value. If you really, really need to roster someone, you really need help in that area. Um, but there are just better options. And I really doubt that he's actually going to play 73 games. I think he's probably going to play closer to 45, 50 games this year, considering there isn't, like Schwebzy said, a real spot for him uh, to play on that Mets roster. They're going to have better options, I feel like, from day to day. Uh, so I think it's a interesting signing. I think it's a... Well, I mean, it's a boring signing, but I'm interested to see if he actually finds playing time on the Mets roster this year. Uh, moving on to our next signing, uh, another Tiger signing, uh, Renato Nunez signing with the Tigers. Uh, Schwebs, what do we think about Renato Nunez? So Renato Nunez is who he is. He is uh, he he hits he hits dingers. That's what he does. But I don't think he hits enough of them to be truly relevant because the rest of his profile is so underwhelming. He's never going to hit for average. He's in a mediocre lineup. He's in a bad ballpark. Uh, It doesn't seem likely that he's going to accumulate too many counting stats. Although anybody who hits like fourth or fifth for any team and plays there every day is at least relevant in deep leagues. So he is someone to keep an eye on late in drafts. But 
you know, he's not going to get rostered in a 12 team league. Maybe, uh, maybe in an AL only you want to, uh, you want to throw like a dollar bid on him or, you know, pick him up off the waivers, uh, in a, in a favorable week. Uh, it's just, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's, there's not a whole lot to say about him. Uh, if you need a, if you need an injection of dingers on your team, he might be worth a pickup. Yeah, I mean, they have him currently penciled in on roster resource as the starting first baseman, uh, previously a third baseman and DH mostly, uh, with Heimer Condelario starting at third base for the Tigers. So, I mean, like you said, I mean, 27-year-old power bat, there's a slew of those. I mean, there's a slew of power bats you could get at any point near where you would get Renato Nunez in a draft. I'm not super excited to draft him anywhere in any of my leagues. The on-base, it's not like his his low average comes with a super high walk rate with, I mean, only projected to have an 8% walk rate this year. Just not someone I'm particularly interested in grabbing, but uh, someone to keep an eye on at least. If he ends up playing every day, he is going to compile a, a decent amount of stats. So, Yeah, I, for what it's worth, I, I like Candelario so much more than him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I also am a very big fan of Isaac Paredes who is uh, yes. currently uh, in the minors. He played he played quite a bit last year and didn't do too much. But uh, I'm a fan of his plate approach, and I think it's going to be... I, I think he's going to wind up replacing Nunez sooner rather than later because, you know, what are the Tigers going to do this year? Why, why would you play 27-year-old Renato Nunez over someone who you have control of for, you know, another six years who might be really good? Exactly. For sure. Yeah. All right. Moving on to Jed Lowry signing with Oakland. I mean, I don't Ooh. have a whole lot of, a yeah, I don't have a whole lot of opinions on this one, but it was something that was, uh, that was out there in, in the ether that we pulled in. So he's going to uh, be good. He's going to be good. Book it. Book it. That, oh, okay. I smell, do I smell a, do I smell you, a prop bet? No, you, you smell a bit. Um, oh, a bit. Okay. <laughs> Uh, no, Lori, Lori, Lori had like a bionic leg the last time we checked in on him. Oh, did you? It's oh, like, wait, yeah, he, he did. He, he, his comments after being signed by Oakland were like, oh yeah, I'm so glad to be home. And my first thought was like, what's so different about Oakland's like rehab facilities that it's home compared to other teams. But <laughs> I, I'm just, ugh. uh, yeah, I, I, I think that. The, it, he might be good just because of like anti Mets karma in the universe, but uh, yeah, I, I I am not drafting him. I'm. It's just <laughs> Jed Lowry. Just for man. reference, just just for reference, uh, ADP is at seven hundred and fifty, currently ranked eleven 1, hundred on <laughs> on NFBC. So I can't believe he has an ADP. It's pretty incredible. I think everyone automatically has an ADP because they were probably only drafted like once or twice right around that area. Yeah, because like all the all the people back here have like a min max pick of because I think you automatically for all the times you go undrafted, you get an ADP for those of 751. That makes sense. The furthest it goes goes down is 750, which that would be what? That's a 15 team 50 pick league, correct? Mm -hmm. That math checks out. I'm not totally sure. I'm just agreeing. I didn't do the math. Yeah. Anyways, if some if that math is wrong, feel free to tell me. You can. I trust. Me. I trust my co-host. <laughs> Sometimes I can do the the math. Okay. Last guy that we're talking about here is going to be Mike Fultonavich. 
uh, going to Texas. Uh, this is kind of an interesting one. Schwebs, what do you think about Fulte heading to Texas? So I feel like the perception of Fultonevich is that like he's good, like or or that he's like at, at least like not bad. I kind of disagree. Like maybe in that giant Costco of a stadium, like he might be good, but I actually think that like Fultonevich is really like tops out as a league average starter and he kind of got lucky once with like a, a really lucky year put up like a, a three era and now people think he's better than he actually is so yeah. i'm kind of i'm pretty out on faulty um i kind I, I like what texas has done with some of their pitchers lately so maybe they can unlock something in him that atlanta wasn't able to Atlanta hasn't had the most success with their pitching prospects. It's like they've had a couple, but they've had some really, really prominent busts as well. So we'll we'll see. I, I he's not someone that I'm going to target in any league. It doesn't really matter how late in a draft I am. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that the 2018 that he had was pretty good, where he went 13 and 10 with a uh, 2.85 ERA. He did have a 3.37 FIP. Uh, which was pretty decent, but he also outperformed his XFIP, XFIP by uh, 40 points. So it's really hard to say. I mean, I don't think he necessarily got lucky that year, but he definitely, it's an outlier amongst the rest of his seasons that he's had. Um, I'm also not particularly interested in him. I think that the only thing that makes him slightly more interesting is the D-Juice ball. And when someone like Joey Gallo says that their new stadium plays much bigger it makes me think that there's some truth to it, though apparently some research on park factors have indicated that it isn't actually the case. Um, but obviously the sample size of 60 games in 2020 is really, really small. So we'll find out if that is actually holding true in 2021. Uh, I'm personally out on Fultonavich, not really interested in grabbing him in any of my leagues unless I just want like a very, very late SP flyer that I can maybe stream from time to time. Uh, yeah. If only he, if only he could pitch against Texas instead of for Texas. <laughs> uh, if only, if only. I get. Wait, I'm trying to think. Okay, so now that they don't have Lance Lynn, who is their SP one? I honestly could not even tell you off the top of my head. Dane Dunning. Oh yeah, because he got traded there. I'm gonna Al look Gibson? at roster resource here. This is why we have roster resource handy all the time. Let's see here, Texas Rangers. SP one. It's, it's Kyle Gibson. Kyle Gibson as your SP one notable ace, uh, and then uh, another a uh, oh I forgot to say it before Ben Gamble was a was a Bofa. This is also a Bofa alert. Uh, Jordan Lyles, Bofa meaning uh, a Brewers old friend alert. I am a Brewers fan. I like seeing uh, Brewers old friends and former players. I was going to uh, tee you up, Bofa. What's Bofa? It's a Brewers old friend alert. I'm not taking the page, Fubs. We can't do that. This is a PG rated podcast gosh heck it got right. him uh, oh wait no no i did not got him uh so <laughs> moving moving on uh that's all we have on our list of uh free agent signings recently and trades as well looking at our next section we are going to do a mailbag uh pretty much if you have any questions about your deep or dynasty league feel free to send those to us at inthedeeppl at gmail.com or you can tag us. We'll probably be posting and asking for questions on Twitter. You can follow us there at inthedeeppl. Uh, obviously, we don't have any actual mailbag questions available because this is our first episode. So please feel free to send any of those our way that you can. But we do have two questions from 
the picture list discord uh let's take this first one here it seems to be from a nicholas p didn't leave a last name uh nick asks what kind of weekly segments we're going to be doing well i did just explain one of them there we're also gonna be going through any fantasy any fantasy news from the week uh so hopefully that answers that adequately nick uh second question from the very real and not fake mailbag is from an alexander f also did not leave a last name weirdly enough uh doesn't oh wait it's not a question it's just a comment says uh one segment isn't enough what is this your first episode or something thank you very helpful we appreciate that alex uh can we block emails yeah we'll figure it out okay sounds good all right uh anyways sounds like a jerk honestly we know that just having a mailbag each week probably isn't enough so we're also going to introduce some of our board bets now uh Throughout the season, Schwebzy and I will be participating in these. At the end of the season, we are going to be tallying up all of these board bets, who won and who lost. And I think what we decided on is that there will be consequences for the loser. Schwebs, can you please let the folks know what our consequences will be? All right. So as a very serious carnivore, I really uh any any plant life introduced to my system it just immediately throws my equilibrium off and i I can't function at all so uh and jordan on the other hand is a vegan and a better person than me just because of that fact i did okay let let it be known let it be known that i did not say that schwebsy did he just i don't i don't have some smug sense of superiority just because i eat plants it's it's it does not make me a better person and the it's knowing not. the knowing looks Shwebzy, stop spreading slander into the universe this is a podcast that the entire internet can hear i do not want people thinking that i have some superiority complex because i eat things that don't have faces All right, and so, exclusively things that don't have faces <laughs> we we've agreed that if jordan wins these these uh board bets mm-hmm. overall mm-hmm. that he can choose a vegan dish and i will cook and consume it and and probably hate myself afterwards. And if I win, when I win, uh, oh, okay, 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 I will be choosing the subject of an article for Jordan to write, and I can choose the the subject. I can choose the tone. Uh, the example I gave is that if one of his favorite players, Christian Yelich, is an MVP candidate, I will make him write an article denouncing Christian Yelich's MVP candidacy. So uh, something in that vein. I think also I don't, I'm not, I'm not allowed to put like a disclaimer in no, the article nope. or anything nope. like that. I just had to very seriously just shred a player that I actually very much like, which is going to be awful. I or maybe um, I, I might just make you positively write about someone I like. We'll see. See, we'll see how nice oh, I'm feeling. Okay. okay. I mean, I can accept that. I mean, there might, uh, there might be a person that you really like that I also really like. So hopefully, I mean, I'm just going to pretend that every person that you like, I hate. So that way, You'll never actually know. <laughs> but Mets this year. I really love all of the Mets. Every last one of them. Every Met is fantastic. All former Mets, also very good. Steven Matz, I love him. Love Mets. Doesn't give up <laughs> doesn't give up home runs at all. Great pitcher. <laughs> but yeah, so we're going to uh we, we already have a couple of board bets uh that we have yeah, yeah, because we we had this draft that we've been doing, and a board bet came up naturally as we really violently argued between two third basemen. There were punches thrown via text message through Discord. We definitely threw, threw hands a little bit here. Uh, so basically, the board bet 
for our first one here related to our uh, Dynasty League that we're doing together is J.D. Davis versus Austin Riley. Which one will perform better across our five Roto categories for offense? In this league, they are on base percentage, runs, RBIs, home runs, and stolen bases. Which one of them will win or perform better in those five categories overall? So three to two, whoever is going to take it home. Uh, I am personally on the side of Austin Riley, which I do believe I'm a bit of an underdog here, but I am going to take it because this is a person that I pushed really hard for because he is completely, well, almost completely free of any competition at third base and is going to get the majority of the starts and I think is playing in a still not, it's it's not a Mets level offense, but it's a very solid offense nonetheless. We ironically wound up dra- dra- drafting both of these guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, JD Davis lasted way longer too, which was nice. So we were able to get both of them. So after we were the able brutal, to please both parties. After the brutal drag out fight, we just wound up with both of them on our team. So uh, yeah, I mean, and I'm glad to start this off with an easy board bet win. But what are our others? Uh, the other ones are going to be okay. So uh, a pitching staff that I'm very interested in, as far as the future development of them, is the trio of pitching prospects for the Tigers, which is Tarek Skubal, uh, Casey Mize, and Matt Manning. Matt Manning being my favorite out of that bunch personally, and someone that I'm trying to get as many shares of as possible. Uh, my board bet for this was that that trio will tally a total of 25 or more wins combined in the 2020 season. And I am taking the over. I'm so much on the under on that. I don't know if the three of them will combine for 25 starts. Well, I think that I think that Scooble's going to be in the majors for the entire year. So he's going to get, if he stays healthy, 25 himself. I think that Manning's going to come up in the middle of the year and probably stick in the rotation. Mize is debatable still. They have him listed as starting in AAA to begin the year. I don't know if he's going to eventually get called back up again or not. But I also have a bit of optimism in this because I do think that the Tigers will take the opportunity to use this shortened 2020 season and kind of go with the six starting pitcher rotation and get all of them starts as the year goes on. And I do think that I mean, I'm, I'm mostly excited for Matt Manning. I think he's the one I'm most optimistic about. Secondly, being Tarek Skubal, I think he has the best stuff in comparison to him and Mize. Um. But I think that Manning is going to net like seven wins. Scooble will get like 10. And then Mize. Well, uh, yeah, I, I will say that I think they're going to get 25 or more. It'll be close. Um, Scooble could very easily go off because he has some pretty sick stuff. And if Mize figures out that splitter and can throw it consistently, it's one of the best pitches out of all of the prospects. So. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm kind of out on Scooble overall just because I don't think his i i he's kind of like a one trick pony and i don't think that one trick is good enough to be an elite pitcher or and if you're not an elite pitcher then you're not going to get double digit wins for the tigers because they're bad so and well, uh, well, i mean vision is also not great though right sorry uh well that, that is just... true that is true yeah but the tigers are still very clearly like the bottom dweller in that even even in that bad division yeah I mean, the bad has Scooble projected to make 21 starts. I think he's going to make more than that. That's just me. How um, many wins do they project him for? Six. Six and eight. Oh, which, yeah. You know what? I totally understand. Again, I know that I'm the underdog in this situation, but I'm betting big, baby. 
That's what I'm gonna I, do. I make these egregious claims, and then hopefully uh, they come true. That's that's just, that's usually my uh, my strategy. I just hope you're you're very ready to write a, a nice, really glowing piece on JD Davis. <laughs> oh no, oh, that would be the worst. Okay, that's a good punishment so, since we have the the board bet with him already. Okay, well, I mean, okay, I'll, I'll I'll lose one here or there. I feel like the next board bet though, I have a pretty good chance on winning personally just because of his all-around impact when it comes to the offensive side. Uh, so we also are doing board bets on AL and NL Rookie of the Year. My money is on Randy Rosarena to take home the AL crown in that regard. Um, I have him pegged for a potential 30-20 season if he can be effective in his stolen base attempts. Uh, I think he's got the power to do so, and I think he's going to put up around a 280 average. I think his pitch recognition is really, really good. He's been able to maintain a pretty consistent K to base on ball ratio throughout all his levels of the minors. Uh, and I think we're going to see some positive regression in that regard come 2021. And I think he also adjusts to different types of pitching well. So a lot of people say that he only has like the one swing, a very flat plane that allows him to hit out fastballs when they're elevated in the zone, but he has shown other swings as well and an ability to drive the ball regardless of where it is in the zone. Um, I'm personally on the Randy train. I don't know if that's a great name for that, but I'm going with it. I already said it. <laughs> uh, Schwebs, who do you have for AL Rookie of the Year? The Araza Rain train. Um, the, the Araza trainer. There you go. We'll, we'll workshop it. Uh, yeah, we'll work on it. So uh, I I went more with real life value than fantasy production here and in picking Nick Madrigal as my AL Rookie of the Year. I just think that he's going to give the White Sox a probably winning team, which uh, tends to voters like. Uh, I think he's going to give them elite defense. And I think like your 99th percentile Nick Madrigal season is like him hitting like 350 plus and scoring a million runs. So if, I, I think if he can come anywhere in the same like vicinity of that, uh, I, I think you're you're looking at a really strong rookie of the year campaign for him. Fair enough. He was probably he's honestly probably probably my second pick to win. So I I can appreciate your choice in Madrigal. I think that he's going to be setting the table for that White Sox offense very regularly, and will probably stick at the top of that lineup for a long time as long as he can stay healthy. Um, Moving on to NL Rookie of the Year, which is going to be another one of our board bets here. Uh, I chose Ian Anderson, which is another kind of underdog pick. I think that in the most recent, I can't remember how many uh, Rookie of the Year awards have gone to, I mean, it's like 70 or 80% go to batters and position players rather than pitchers. Um, so with that said, I really do like Ian Anderson a lot. I like what I saw from him in 2020. Showed a really effective pick pitch mix um i think the dejuice ball will help him slightly in 2021 as well i don't know i just really liked what i saw from him at the end of uh the 2020 season i think he can continue that into 2021 schwebs what do you think about your pick for nl rookie of the year so i i tried really hard in my nl only league to trade for ian anderson at the end of last year so i'm i'm with you on thinking that he's going to be very good I do think we're going to see a good bit of regression from last year. Uh, I, I don't know if we're going to get see him ever pitch within a run of last year's 1.95 ERA, but I still think he's really good. And as for my pick, I went with Cabrian Hayes. Once again, looking at real-life value, 
in a player where we're going to get gold glove caliber defense. Maybe he never wins one while being in the same league as Arenado, at least not for a while. But his so coming out of the minors, the profile on him was that he had the glove, but the hitting was underwhelming. Like he made contact, but we weren't sure what was going to translate to the majors. What wound up happening was contact, power, glove, everything you could want. I think he even ran a little bit. Uh, I'm going to check that while I talk. But you have everything you need to be a very productive major league player. And just having an elite glove at third base for 150, 160 games, that already puts you at a nice like war for your hitting to then you know increase even further. So uh, nowadays, a, a lot of times your your awards your awards voting basically looks like a war leaderboard. So that's why I picked who I picked for my two awards because I think there's a very real chance that Cabrian Hayes leads all NL rookies in war this year. Yeah, I mean, he put up an insane 376 average. And like, right, he, didn't so, put up num- he didn't put numbers like that up since like he was in rookie ball back in 2016. Like beyond that, like just an extended service time in A ball, A plus ball through triple A, the highest average that he put up was 293, which is still impressive. Don't get me wrong. But uh, after putting up uh, 265 in triple A, I could see why there were certain questions about his bat. I don't think that, Obviously, there's not going to be an average anywhere near 376. No. But the bat looked better than we expected it to. So the nice thing is that he had like a 90 plus percent contact rate on pitches in the zone. That was surprising for me. The launch angle wasn't great, which means if that continues, the power might not be great. But as long as he continues making hard contact, basically every time he swings at a pitch in the zone, good things are going to happen. So I was a little bit off with my uh, speed uh, claim. He stole 27 bases in the minor once, in the minors once, uh, and then 12 or 13 a couple more times. But it looks like that's not a big part of his game, so that's not going to really help his fantasy output. But again, this is this is rookie of the year, not fantasy, so the steals don't matter so much. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I like. I personally really like Brian Hayes, and I'm trying to get shares of him where I can. Um, it's a little bit tough now since he's being held on to pretty tightly by a lot of folks, especially after his very short stint here in 2020. But overall, um, I like both of our picks there, honestly. I like both of our picks for both AL and NL Rookie of the Year. I think those are going to be two of the top names going into the year and then at the end of the year. But as we well know, often someone comes out of the woodworks and just absolutely surprises everyone. So we'll see what happens there. I think that's all we have for our first episode, Schwebs. How do you think it went? We did it. We did it. Yay. All right. Sick. Uh, That's going to be it it for us this week. Join us for our second episode. It's going to be a little bit of delay on this one. We're going to release on February 27th. That's Saturday. And we're going to be kicking off our position previews for catchers and release pitchers. So if you want to stay up to date on new episodes like that and get occasional takes on the latest news, you can follow us at In the Deep PL or individually at Schwebzy for Chris and myself at Bunt Singles. Also, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review for us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Uh, Schwebzy, send them out. Bye, friends.